0: I'm your host, Andy Earle, creator of the Teenage Personality Quiz. Head to TalkingToTeens.com for a free PDF explaining how your teenager thinks. We are here today with KJ Del Antonia. She is the author of How to Be a Happier Parent, Raising a Family, Having a Life, and Loving almost every minute of it. She's a writer. She regularly contributes to the New York Times, where she wrote and edited the Motherlode blog from 2011 until 2016, and she was a contributing editor for the Well Family section from 2016 to 2017. Prior to that, she was one of Slate's XX Factor bloggers, where she covered parenting and a broad range of subjects for them. Today, she hosts a podcast along with one of our other recent guests, Jessica Leahy, and she is currently working on a novel which is due out this summer. We are so excited to talk to her today about how you can enjoy being a parent more. KJ, thank you so much for making the time to come on the show today. But I read the book, How to Be a Happier Parent, and really had fun with it. A lot of parenting books are so focused on, you know, the kid, and it's very... Not... Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, well, hey, shouldn't you be having a good time throughout this whole thing? Like, if this isn't fun for you, which is what I hear from so many parents um, that, you know, that they got one kid who just like always ruins it all the time and it's just not fun anymore or that homework just has become such an intense situation that it's just not even fun anymore and it's like they don't even want to go home and confront it and that to me is like so sad. I think
1: that's more common than not. I really do. And I think a fair number of people even resist the idea that it shouldn't be that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see it as like our duty, kind of, as parents, you know, to tough to tough through, and that and we're supposed must to be... suffer
1: to produce good children or something.
0: Yeah, there's this kind of martyr uh, uh, archetype that we kind of ascribe to a little bit. There as totally like the, is the good and parent or something. Probably yeah.
1: comes more from the maternal side, but. As we get more gender equality in parenting, and we absolutely are, unfortunately, we're like we're just sharing that piece as opposed to sharing the piece that's more, you know, you are a wonderful part of my whole life.
0: It does seem like it's really linked to the kind of nurturing mother archetype though, as far as the parents parents go, this like kind of martyr aspect of like that you should just be so giving, giving, giving and not think of yourself at all.
1: Well, and, and if you don't do it that way, then then you're you know you're doing it wrong. Or if you don't do it that yeah, way, and right. it, and the child does not you know go to Harvard and become the president of the United States, um, then then clearly you could have done more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so talk to me about this. Was a phase of your life when you wrote this book, "How to Be a Happier Parent." Talk to us about what propelled you into that whole endeavor.
1: Yeah. It sort of goes back so far. So I was a parenting journalist for a decade. I started at Slate. I wrote in a variety of places. I wrote for parents. And then I moved on to the New York Times where I wrote and edited the Motherload column for five years. And it was this sort of ironic situation where I was writing about the thing that also made it hard for me to do my job. So my job was to do, to write about all the people doing the thing that also like was, you know, stressing me out. And I would be editing, you know, a piece about uh, uh, happy sports parents while sort of frantically driving a kid to a sport or yelling at another one because <laughs> I, anyway, it, it, So the, the ironies were deep, right? But... <laughs> We were, when I, I started down that road, I have four kids within four years of each other. At the time that I started writing, they were like, you know, four, four, six and eight or something like that. And we were just in this phase of life where everything I mean, you just woke up in the morning and you put your skates on and you just started to go and at night you just you know sort of imploded onto the couch and we would just yeah, ar- yeah. feebly argue with each other about whose day sucked more. Um, <laughs> and and it was it didn't feel like there was anything we could do about it. They had to be driven yeah. to all these places where we live there's no school bus and they went to different schools and you know, they need to do something after school. If they don't, you're what am I gonna do? It was just this really sort of frantic time full of emptying the dishwasher and drying off small plastic cups and i just kept thinking man i don't i don't feel like this is what i signed up for yeah yeah right so i was looking for a way to make it more fun and that was actually kind of my first book and i you know i'm, I'm writing for the Times, so i have this this opportunity i can i can write a book and my first thought about a book was you know this should be fun and i started yeah. to make a list of like things that would be fun and then I just looked at that list and I thought, I don't want to do fun things. I don't want to do any more things. I do enough things. I just want the things we're already doing not to be so stressful. To suck so, less. Yeah. yeah. I started to focus on that instead because, yeah, more, uh, b- uh, believe me, a list of more fun things is the last thing a parent of four. You've kind of got
0: enough going on at that point. Right?
1: <laughs> Almost certainly. If there's anyone out there who's like, I don't know, you know, I feel like my afternoons are pretty empty with these four children. Well, keep them that way. (laughs) There's a lot of joy to be found in emptiness.
0: There's a, a couple things that I really liked in here. One of them in the chapter where you're talking about chores You said you guys have tried just about everything. Star charts, reward chips that could be cashed in at the mom store, (laughs) fines for failure to perform, bonuses for stellar performance, offering their allowance in the form of a single dollars in a cup and taking a dollar out every time a chore wasn't done, docking allowances for compliance about chores, countless other strategies I've forgotten. Here's what I learned through my own experience and interviews with other parents. Any of those things can work. So why didn't they work for us? Because we didn't stick with them. Yep. So what did you figure out that finally
1: oh, uh, I, worked? Oh, I hate this so much because it is still true. The secret to getting your kids to do chores is to make your kids do chores. <laughs> there is no secret. You can pay them. You can bribe them. You can give them chips. You can put stars on. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. People who get their kids to do chores are people who expect their kids to do chores, who don't accept excuses for not doing chores, who put being a helpful member of the family as a a high priority, as it should be, and just that's the way they live their lives. And that is so hard because the truth is that it is indeed easier to do it yourself. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, there are things, you know, there are times when you're like, yeah, sorry, I can't be in three places at once, teenager who, ha- right, who drives right, a car. Right. So you get to go pick up your sibling up and, and, and that happens. But that's a different kind of thing. Now, when it yep. comes to like the towel on the floor of the bathroom or emptying the dishwasher or feeding the animals, yes, it's easier to do it yourself than it is to nag the child into doing it. I just hate that. I, w- I want there to be a magic <laughs> bullet, but, but there is not. So we, I mean, as a family, we still struggle with this. And our kids will tell you, yeah, oh, we should do our chores. We're really bad about that, they'll say. Like, the, like they get like bonus points for knowing that it's terrible <laughs> that we have to nag them. And I'll still have these conversations in the car, you know, with my younger daughter. Please get a kitten. I'll feed it every day and I'll feed all the animals. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. This is not my first kitten rodeo, my friend. We have two cats and two dogs and two mini ponies and nine chickens. And getting you people to feed them is yeah,
0: like, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, no kitten. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you think in your mind like, oh, it would be good because it would teach them responsibility. But you don't realize that it would be a vehicle for you to teach them responsibility. That is exactly right. There is a lot of work involved in that whole situation.
1: There Um, really is. And that is one of those places where you just have to remember that what you want now is not what you will want later. So mm -hmm. you you want kids who know that if they drink something out of a cup, they're going to take it and and put it in the dishwasher. And that means that you're going to spend 6 to 12 years making them do that every right. single time, pretty much. I mean, you know, once in a while. But the problem with that once in a while, I'm just going to grab the cup and put it in the dishwasher for you. Keep track, people. Keep track. Because <laughs> suddenly you realize, wait a minute. I did this an hour ago and two <laughs> hours ago. Yeah, we we really, because it's easier, because it avoids conflict, we really it's so yeah. easy to slip down the road of just getting the thing done.
0: Yeah, and once you do it once, then it's easy to do it again. You talk about a scientific study that you conducted that it takes i think about 5 years of constantly nagging a child to remove their dishes from the table before they will actually begin to do it on. Their
1: no, own this was a that. very unscientific study conducted entirely <laughs> in my kitchen on a subject set of four. Um, and now coming at it from a few years later, I will add that there is to some degree, there's some personality stuff in here. Um, I have four kids. One of them will put her dish in the dishwasher every, every time, every time. Really, if there's a dish on the table, it's not hers. <laughs> Another one, she doesn't know where the dishwasher is. I don't think she could locate it. <laughs> and they have—they are—they are barely a year apart. They have received, you know, other than the sort of differences in siblings, essentially the same degree of nagging parenting. Um, it's just, I—you know—one of them is harder to get through to than the other, apparently. And we're still trying.
0: So you write in here that sibling battles fall into four different categories. Jealousy, property rights, space occupation, and pure deviltry. Um, <laughs> can you talk about what those are and how those, how those work, what you should do about them?
1: So I'm going to check off the four. We've got pure deviltry. This is mine. Uh, this is my space and jealousy, right? all right so really they're all jealousy i mean it's hard to share your parents it just inherently it inherently is and it's hard to have other people in your space constantly even if you're used to it and there's just some degree of friction that is you know it's it's constant and in our house it was uh when i was writing the book between two children in particular it was constant and it was horrific and it was painful and i will say it's been a couple of years now and it's not like that anymore. So hallelujah. It turned out that we were not in King Lear territory. And, you know, <laughs> as as I really deeply believed that we were. Um, so the, the time to start teaching your kids how to sort of resolve their own sibling differences is, well, is now. Um, if your kids are small. <laughs> Was that, yesterday. Well, yeah. If your kids are small, then that would be, uh, then that's that's better. But if they're not, they're not. So if you've got little kids, you really probably do need to be in there regularly talking to them about, well, um, you know, let's, let's look at what's, what's happening here. So it's easier to have a couple of maybe black letter rules that you just sort of fall back on. So for us with, with stuff, if it's your thing, it's your thing. Um, that can be a little hard because some things belong to everyone and then it's a different negotiation, but we sort of had this this policy that it, even if it was your t-shirt and you outgrew it six years ago, if you don't want your t- your sister to have it, mm. okay, it's your t-shirt. I, I mean, if it's a pair of skis and it's going to cost me 300 that would be different. That didn't really, you know, that didn't yeah, come up yeah, 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 for yeah. us. But, you know, even if there's no reason for you to want that McDonald's Happy Meal from, you know, toy from five years ago that we just found under the car sure. seat uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but it's yours and we can it's for yours. some reason all remember that it's yours then it's still yours and that is fine and then space gets to be really challenging my kids all when we when i wrote the book i had uh four kids in two rooms um during the writing of the book i think we split the girls up so that now we have no guest room anymore and we have we have because we had to because they were going to kill each other and <laughs> yeah. and it is you better. Do right about but we they're
0: kind of like butting heads in this book. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So the space stuff is kind of really can be super challenging because you'll get kids who sort of have a different feeling about space who you know can feel alone just because they have headphones on or just because they're reading a book and they're focused. And then you have kids that just need the whole room. And sometimes you have to. Look for those little Uh, weirdnesses and make rules that don't seem or, you know, make accommodations that don't seem fair. (laughs) Fair. Fair is an evil word. Fair is a very difficult word.
0: I think it's interesting that you point out you have these rules about stuff that's really specific in your house, and then seem like kind of a theme in the book. Because then later on, you also had rules about like dinner time. You had like the five dinner time rules.
1: Um, I can probably recite the dinner time rules. You gotta
0: know those. You got those down at this point,
1: yeah? Well, the dinner time rules they they sort of evolved, and yeah, I did. Find, I mean, I have four kids, and I have um, right now. I'm a full time writer, but at the time of the book writing, the book I had a full time job. I needed black letter laws. Like, I needed to just say, okay, fine, you can watch TV on the weekend, but there's no TV on the weekdays, because I can't have a 20-minute conversation with you every time you want to watch TV, because that's every five minutes. Like, I just, that, that is not going to wake, that's not going to make me happy. So, yeah, so that's why we would have these sort of, just, policies. It's easier to have a policy. Then you can make exceptions to the policy if you want to. All right, dinner time. Yeah, so I'm the primary cook in the family. I like to cook. I like to cook a lot. I don't like people to insult what I have cooked. <laughs> so we had these rules. I may not come up with all five, but broadly speaking, and this was, these are so ingrained that they, they still remain, but we don't, certainly don't ever have to sort of use them like, anymore. Yeah, yeah, um, call them broad, out. Broadly speaking, you, you have to accept everything on your plate, but you don't have to eat or taste any of it. There will be no pressure to eat something that you do not wish to eat. But we may tell you that we think it's good. And, and that's actually usually siblings. Like, no, it's yeah, actually yeah, right. really good. It looks yeah, you, mushy. Uh, but a try. Yeah, right. you are not allowed to say negative things about the food. You are not allowed to say yuck. You are not allowed to say ew. You are certainly not allowed to say that looks gross. If you say any of those things, you will leave the table. And you will not. There's There will be no... No no further dinners, no dessert, no... Sne- and that you only have to do that to a kid really once, especially when they're little. They didn't like that. And so we, we had a no food after dinner rule, but we would also make sure... This is a little chaotic because I didn't remember them all in, in order, but we would also <laughs> make sure at every meal, I just made sure to serve something that everybody could conceivably eat. So, yeah, you right. know, if you don't like meatloaf, there's bread and butter. If you don't like you know, whatever it is we're serving, there's rice. If you don't like meatballs, I didn't put the meatballs on the pasta until you sat down. And by and large, it's worked. They're all pretty They're all pretty good eaters. They all eat most things. The day that my oldest looked at me and said, well, I don't really have to love it to eat it. I was like,
0: yes.
1: (laughs) That is the point. I am not only going to serve you things that you love. I am sorry. I don't even serve me only things that I love because that would mean I never, ever, ever ate anything except like- I can't only eat ice cream. Yeah. Yeah, That would be a poor choice for me. So, I mean, you know, we talk about healthy eating. We, We talk about- what we're mixing up, we talk about processed food. We have a lot of... Because food is a really important part of our lives. We have a garden and the kids cook with me all the time. That That is... That's big in our particular house. But I really feel like... The first one makes a big difference to sort of their willingness to try and yeah, explore uh, things. Right. And the second one makes a huge difference to me. Because if you look at my food and you tell me that it looks gross, um, somebody might throw things and it might be me. So...
0: <laughs> yep i always think if you can get kids to do things without feeling like it's because you're pressuring them to do it but just because they wanted to explore it themselves it's always better so not making them feel like they're you know being forced to eat certain foods or that they have to yeah but just that like you know it's there and it's an option and um, you're not going to be kind of judged either way i think is really powerful mm-hmm. We're here with K.J. Del Antonia talking about how you can enjoy being a parent more. And we're not done yet. Here's a quick look at what's coming up in the second half of the show.
1: This really is the norm. So I, I don't want people to beat themselves up if they're getting pulled into it. The thing to do is just, just take a step back and say, all right, which parts of this are really working for me as the adult in this family you know, how can I make this be a little bit better for me? Because we're allowed to do that. All or nothing is better when it comes to your phone, when it comes to your electronics, when it comes to your attention. When your kids see that your life is sort of revolving around the things that are happening for them. When if they don't make the top team, you are crushed. When if they have a difficulty with a friend, you get truly upset. They begin to see themselves as responsible for your happiness. And that is a terrible position to be in as a child. It's a terrible position to be in as an adult child. It's just, it's not the way that we want our kids to perceive Their lives or our relationship.
0: Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.